Good morning. Over the summer, we have been preaching through what we are calling our summer mixtape. This is our compilation of stories from the Bible that we have selected because we believe they deserve another hearing. The story we will wrestle with today is the story of Jacob wrestling at the Jabbok River. It is a story that is mysterious and intriguing. It is one of those stories that no matter how many times you hear it, there is always something new to discover. So listen now to the story that comes to us from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 31. That same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Some of you may not know this about me, but I'm not what you might describe as athletic. <laughs> yes, you can laugh. I'm not someone who is active. I know for many of you, your ideal weekend is spent biking along the Katy Trail or going for a run around White Rock Lake. I literally had to Google Katy Trail to make sure it was a real place in Dallas because I'd never been there. You see, my ideal weekend consists of binging pizza and Netflix until I get too tired to admit that, yes, I am still watching. If I have to give you some good reason as to why being physically active is not something I think of positively, I wonder if it has anything to do with being the youngest of three children. I could never keep up with my older brother and sister, 
whether we are on our bikes or just racing down the sidewalk to the end. And so when my brother decided to join the high school wrestling team, I somehow became his preferred practice opponent. <laughs> you see, being pinned against the carpet of our living room floor does wonders to one's self-esteem. <laughs> and I think somewhere at that point, I just gave up. Why put up a fight if I wasn't going to win? And so I haven't really thought this out with my therapist, but I <laughs> imagine that whatever physical confrontations that I have shied away from throughout my life has likely added to the amount of mental effort that I make day in and day out. I overanalyze. I overthink. I'm always in my head rather than in tune with my body and my muscles. I have these imaginary arguments and comebacks. That's how I fight in my head. And so I end up with anxieties and fears that sometimes make me feel like I can't even catch my own breath. And these worries and these doubts, they have their way of keeping me up at night. And so I feel like I have a little bit of insight to Jacob's state of mind. As you know, Jacob was a younger sibling, and although he and Esau were twins, it was Esau who was the elder of the two, who was favored by their father Isaac. Esau was strong and outdoorsy and a hunter. Isaac was born gripping Esau's heel, and as he grew up, he stayed quiet, and he stayed indoors. And so he was no physical match for his brother, but yet Jacob found a way to win from Esau two significant things, Esau's birthright and his blessing from Isaac. Outraged by this, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah, their mother, helps Jacob escape by seeking refuge with Laban, her brother. Jacob's uncle. And it is on his way there that Jacob has this dream where God extends God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac to Jacob. God promises him that the land belongs to him and his offspring will be like the dust of the earth. God says to him, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So 20 years later, after an equally complicated relationship with his uncle Laban, Jacob ultimately ends up with two wives, maids, children, and a possession of flock and land. And so the time has come for Jacob to re-enter the land that God had promised him. It was time now for Jacob to meet Esau once again. And even though Jacob has obviously done well for himself, he is scared for his life. He knows that Esau still wants him dead. So Jacob sends to Esau, and I'm sorry, please don't kill me gift, 
of goats and rams and camels and bulls. Jacob sends everything else that belongs to him across the river, and he finds himself utterly alone. But unlike the last time he was alone with God, God doesn't come to him in a dream to comfort him. Rather than finding comfort, Jacob is confronted and assaulted. The entire night is spent wrestling with an unknown figure that leaves Jacob permanently wounded. And as I reread the story this week, I'm sorry, Matthew, to tell you this, but I had trouble accepting the interpretation that Jacob is wrestling with God. I can certainly understand how scholars draw this conclusion. It makes a lot of sense. But today, I want to ask us to reconsider that interpretation for a moment. One thing to consider is that the noun the writer used in this story for the figure that Jacob wrestles is the Hebrew word ish, which means man or human. It is a word in scripture that is never ascribed to God. As you know, God is called El or Elohim or Yahweh, but never ish. And so if Jacob was wrestling God, why would it matter to God that dawn was breaking? Why did God need to stay in the nighttime? As we all know, God can and does appear to people throughout all times of the day. And most importantly, I believe, I am deeply unsettled by the image of a God who would deliberately wound us when we are in the middle of a crisis. And lastly, Jacob and whoever it is he is wrestling seem to be equally matched. There's no clear winner or loser. And so I wonder if Jacob is not wrestling with God after all, but with himself. Perhaps he is wrestling with the parts of himself that he cannot control. Parts like grief or regret. Grief over those unresolved issues with his family. The fear of not knowing how his own brother feels about him his anxiety over what will happen to this new family that he now has as they re-enter the land that God has promised to him. Because God has made that promise, right? And I wonder how many of us are like Jacob. How many of us are so consumed by our troubles that our worries have taken a toll on our bodies? How many of us have spent years trying to hide, numb, or run away from our past and even our present? What is the inescapable pain that we don't want to face? What are the insecurities about our self-worth that no matter what we achieve in this life, we still have doubts that we belong here and that we are loved by God. One of my seminary professors, Dr. David Johnson, calls these experiences of life and faith crises simply as the night. 
He calls them night because that is when we encounter the mystery of God and the mystery of our circumstances. He writes this. Events can shake our faith. Sometimes they test our faith. Sometimes they affirm our faith. Sometimes they destroy our faith. This is because such events change who we are. Illnesses, injuries, death, job losses, forced relocations, divorces, and countless other crises, he writes, they require us to rebuild our lives because we have changed. Our relationship with God changes. These may not be the issues that we often talk about with one another, but I bet they are more common in our lives than we let on. I mentioned earlier that I like to watch a lot of TV shows. There is one that I've recently watched called Queer Eye. Some of you may know this one. It is a show that features five gay men who give an unexpected person in the middle of Georgia a complete personal and home makeover. On the surface, this show sounds like any other reality TV makeover show aimed at producing cheap laughs at some poor soul's expense. However, what has surprised me and anyone who has watched this show is how different it is than we expect it to be. You see, the individuals who are highlighted each episode are stuck in their own version of night. There are fathers who feel the weight of providing for their families. There's a cancer survivor and ultimate church lady named Tammy who wants to be reconciled with her son. There are those who have lost family members as well as, as those who are unsure of how to start a committed relationship or to achieve a career goal. The Fab Five, as they are known, help these individuals start to see themselves for who they truly are they don't shame anyone for their imperfections or their ignorance, but they welcome them and they show them love. And these individuals, they start to walk their own path towards the lives they have always wanted this entire time. Lives that are whole and integrated and authentic. As one TV critic explains the show this way, she says, on this show, men do not compete with each other. They cry and admit to one another how much it hurts to be alive while a handsome stranger teaches them how to make guacamole. <laughs> she says that there are no winners on Queer Eye, just better losers. And so as the night starts to give way to the dawn, Jacob realizes that while he has been running away from his own brother, he ends up running away from himself and from God. 
Author Sister Joan Chittister says it this way. She says that Jacob does what all of us must do if in the end we too are to become true. He confronts in himself the things that are wounding him, admits his limitations, accepts his situation, rejoins the world, and moves on. It sounds simple, but in reality, we all know it can be very painful to confront the truth of who we are and all that we have been through. After putting up a fight with his own inner demons, Jacob demands a blessing. And I believe that this blessing is what he needs to summon the courage to continue on the path before him, the path back to his own brother and back to God. So I'm not surprised that in wrestling with himself, he walks away with a new name, a new identity, because Jacob has changed. Israel has changed. And he has a relationship with God that has changed. You see, the grace in all of this is that Jacob didn't see God's face while he was wrestling alone in the dark. He saw God's face when he finally sees Esau. You see, as the daylight blankets the earth before him, Jacob goes ahead of his family, the family that he had sent away. And as he comes near to Esau, he bows towards the ground, not daring to look up, not having the strength, maybe it's that injury, to look Esau in the face. And it is Esau who sees his brother from afar, who runs to meet him. Like a father welcoming the prodigal home, Esau embraces him. He kisses him. He wraps his arms around his neck, and they both weep. Family of God, the reality is that we live in a broken world, and we have broken lives. But no matter how long we find ourselves hiding, or in pain, or wrestling in the night, there is always the light of day ahead of us that holds the promises of God before us. God is faithful with God's people, the children of Israel. Whenever we are ready to look inside of ourselves, Whenever we are ready to be reconciled with one another, God is already there with arms wide open, ready to welcome us home. To God be the glory. Amen.